back to Mint Condition, a baseball card podcast where we each bring a baseball card from our collection, give each other hints, and do a deep dive on the player's career. I'm Robbie Greenspan, joined as always by Chris Branco. Chris, how you doing today? I'm doing well. It's a nice sunny day. I uh, did have some TV trouble earlier today. I was trying to go through the guide on the TV, and uh, the only channel on the guide was like six-something, and there was Dr. Phil. And uh, I was so confused as to why my TV was only letting me watch Dr. Phil. Um, but we figured it out. It turned out it was like the one favorite, and I was on the favorites tab, so we're all good. But Wow. I mean, what did you learn from Dr. Phil, though? Oh, nothing. I didn't even click on it, but I was, you know, you couldn't do anything but watch Dr. Phil. So a little trouble this morning, but we're all good now. I love the idea that somebody could sell a TV where the only channel is Dr. Phil. Like, Dr. Phil, this is his thing. It's like, you want to get the Dr. Phil TV? This is all you can watch. You go in, like, the TV store, and there's just a million Dr. Phil's on the wall. Just Dr. Phil. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad that you you solved your trouble. And, uh, yeah, it's a nice day. So I think I think I went first last time. So you go first today. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, we'll get into it. Um, so my player played, well, okay. So it's a 2002, I believe it's 2002 uh, Cubs card. Um, he played from 1990 to 2008, and he was an outfielder. I'll stop right there. Um. Okay. Is it Is it one that I should get based off that? No, but uh you know the player. It's someone I'm surprised we have not discussed on this pod yet because it is uh is it Alf- Alfonso Soriano? No, that's a fair guess. Um I'll give you some more hints. So, again, 2002 Cubs outfielder played from 1990 to 2008. Played for the Pirates, Expos, Marlins, Astros, Cubs, Giants, and Mets. Um, okay, give me those teams one more time. Uh, Pirates, Expos, Marlins, Astros, Cubs, Giants, Mets. That is in order. That's a lot of teams. A lot of teams... Um, I would say definitely remembered as a Cub, though I don't know if that's where he actually had his best years. Um, Moises Alou? Yes. Oh, let's go! Let's go! Really good job. Um, so he was a six-time All-Star, 1997 World Series champion with the Marlins, two-time Silver Slugger, uh, I was going to go for the more obvious hints that his half-brother is the current manager of the Mets, which I did not know. Uh, Luis Rojas is his half-brother. And his father... I didn't know Luis Rojas was the manager of the Mets, so that wouldn't have helped. <laughs> yeah, he stepped in last year after the whole Beltron thing, and obviously it's been oh, a weird true. season, so you probably wouldn't know unless you, you know, yeah, really paid attention to them. But, um... And his father was his manager from 1992 to 1996 with the Expos and from 2005 to 2006 with the Giants. That's really cool. Yeah, I I did not know that either. I probably should have, but I I did not know that. Um, So we'll get into his baseball family a little later because it's crazy. Uh, But what do you you know about Moises Alou? What do you think of when you think of him? What do you think his stats are like? Baseball-wise, good player. Obviously, baseball family. Uh... 
I would have said so. Yeah, six-time All Star. Okay, yeah, I would have said multiple-time All Star. Um, I don't know if it's just because the family name, but someone who I could see getting Hall of Fame votes. I'm intrigued to see what it actually is. Um, I think he was the one in the with the Cubs. The whole Steve Bartman thing was that him who like freaked out. Yeah, that was him, and we'll get into that. Um, pretty crazy. I think did he help invent the fist bump? Maybe. Uh, if you want to Google that while I read off some stuff, that would be interesting because I did not come across that. These um, okay then. There's a story I remember, but if it's wrong, it's going to be really weird. So, yeah, you give the stats while I look this up. All right, sounds good. So, Moises Alou had a 39.9 career war, uh, 2,134 hits, 332 home runs, 303 batting average, 885 career OPS, and a 128 career OPS plus. So, he was an above average hitter. Uh, nothing jumps out, but the OPS is 885 career OPS is pretty solid. Yeah. So is the 303 yeah. batting average. Um, defensively, he had a negative 9.6 defensive war in 17 seasons. Now, that doesn't mean so much to me after we discussed um, kind of the last episode that uh, it is adjusted per position. So an outfielder, uh, negative 9 defensive war might not be like a huge deal. Uh, again, still get confused by that. But he led the league in fielding percentage in 1996 uh, as a right fielder and 2002 as a left fielder. He was second in Rookie of the Year in 1992. He lost to Eric Karos. Don't know who that is. This was the same year Kenny Lofton lost to Pat Lestache in the American League. Yep. Classic uh, Pat Lestache reference. <laughs> um, Moises Alou was third in MVP in 1994 with the Expos with 22 homers, 78 RBIs. At first, I was like, why was he third in MVP? He hit 339 with a 989 OPS, um, which was pretty ridiculous, and 153 OPS plus. Yeah, that's okay. That's a very good season. Yeah. And then he, again, he was third in MVP uh, four years later in 1998 with Houston with 38 home runs, huge jump, 124 RBIs. 312 batting average, and then a bit lower of a 981 OPS. And uh, so, yeah. Still, that's that's a good season. Yeah, it's still really, really good. And, uh, you know, I didn't know he had those peak years. Like you said, I knew he was a good player. Wouldn't be surprised for Hall of Fame votes. But, um, you know, twice starting MVP is, is really solid. Uh, he never led the league offensively in any category, though except for ground ball double plays in 2000 with Houston. Can you guess how many uh, ground ball double plays leads the league? 36. I feel like that's a fair guess. I would have no idea what the reference point is. It was 21, so less than you think. Yeah. Um, his career high in homers was 39 in 04 with Chicago. And uh, basically to sum it up, he had some really good years with really high batting averages from like 320 to 340. In his worst years, he never dipped below 270. So he was always a productive hitter and he uh, struggled with some injuries through the years, uh, which is kind of the last thing I want to touch on. So that's his career, you know, in a real broad picture. Um, did you find out if he invented the fist bump? Yeah, so it's it's not confirmed, but it is the story that I've read multiple times. So he was a bat boy for his dad when his dad was, I guess, probably a manager or maybe a player. Um, and 
that you, this big baseball family said that you'll get into. And so, well, one of the things that they would that he would do, Moises would do to toughen up his hands so that they could be like strong, is he would he would pee on them. Yes. Um, and the players did not want to high five him because he had urine on his hands. So the story goes, they would just put out their hand in a fist and they would fist bump. That's amazing. Yeah, I was going to touch on the urination on hands later, and I still will. But that's amazing that that led into the fist bump. That is crazy. There's, it's like different. I mean, there's different people who say different things. But that's like one of the main ideas for how the fist bump became maybe popularized, maybe not invented, but that players started fist bumping so they wouldn't have to touch his urine-soaked hands. Wow. I'm also going to be scared next time someone tries to fist bump me. I'll be like, where are you peeing on your hands? Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, better that than if they were peeing on their hands and not fist bumping you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe they're just looking out. Um, cool. Yeah, so we'll we'll get into the peeing on hands a little bit later. Yeah. But um, yeah, hit me with your player, man. Okay. So first I have to almost do an apology because... As many times as we've done this podcast, as you just demonstrated, we still don't really know how to... It's not easy to tell when a card is from what year. Mm -hmm. um, so this card is from 2001, which I just promised I would not do a 2001 card. I thought it was a, a 2000 card. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's another 2001 card. I told you this is apparently when I was always collecting cards. But it's a 2001 Red Sox. Mm. They played 14 years from 1996 to 2009. Uh, Played for the Red Sox, Cubs, Dodgers, A's, in that order. Nomar Garcia-Para. Nomar Garcia-Para. Nice. Well done. Well done. Yep, so I figured that you might get it. I thought shortstop would give it away next. Yeah. So well done. Was that just you just thinking about just the different, I mean, yeah, there's not that many combinations. Yeah, so well done. Um, his his nickname was Noma because you know Boston. I figured that might give it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I said what they're most known for. So Boston Star in that time when we were first kind of forming our love of baseball. So definitely important. Yeah. He was in Backyard Baseball 01. Loved him for that. He had the intricate routine between pitches where he would like undo his gloves and redo them every time. Um, and then he's married to Mia Hamm, which is kind of mm -hmm. cool. So, what are your initial no more thoughts? Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because I hated Red Sox players growing up. I thought they were like literally evil. Like that's. <laughs> so I felt about the Steelers growing up, so I totally get it. That's what I think about the Steelers now. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I I hated Red Sox players, but Nomar, I never hated, which is kind of weird. He always seemed to have like a smile on his face. And I think he kind of left the Red Sox by the time I really started to like get into baseball and hate them. But uh, he was always compared to Jeter, of course, in those early years. Didn't have the longevity. I, I knew he was married to Mia Hamm. I feel like for some reason I had like some Sports Illustrated for Kids article on them at some point. Probably. Um, so yeah, I just remember him as like pretty likable, good peak, but not much longevity. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really strong way, like a really correct way to remember it um so 44.3 war so good but that itself you know not hall of fame higher um, than i would have thought though I... you're gonna see that i remembered him somewhere like a good player but he you know injuries and he didn't have longevity he was more than he was a phenomenal player for a couple years hmm. so 44.3 war 229 hits 1747 hits uh sorry 229 home runs um then a 313 batting average, 
124 OPS plus. So that's like good. It's good. Um, but it's so then there's other things. He was the rookie of the year, 97, six time All Star. He's a Silver Slugger, two time Batty Champion. He was the comeback player of the year. Um, his career really is his years in Boston and everything else. Hmm. And so his first four years, so he shot onto the scene. When he won Rookie of the Year, um, he also finished in the top 10 in the MVP. Like, just came out of, not came out of nowhere, but was so good. Um, finished, yeah, eighth in MVP that year, went to the All-Star game, was a silver slugger. Hmm. And that was, you know, he batted 306, but led the league with 209 hits and 11 triples. And then um, the wow. following year was excellent as well. So I'll kind of go into each year in a little bit, but just the basic things. 10 of his 14 seasons, he had OPS plus above 100. The dude could just hit. Seven of those were above 120. And for his first, first four years in the majors, he did not finish outside the top 10 in MVP voting. Each of his first four years, he was a top 10 MVP. Seven times he finished top 15. Six times in his career, he had 190 hits or more. Um, and as I said, it just comes down to years in Boston first everything else. So his seven years in Boston, full years, I'm not counting the like half a season that he played as a rookie because he didn't get a lot of time, or his midseason trade in Chicago, but just those full seasons. He averaged 129 games, a 325 batting average, 93 RBIs, 24 home runs, 173 hits, and an OPS plus of 135. He was a stud. He was a stud. And then his five years after the trade, he averaged 85 games, so about a half a season. 287 batting average, 83 hits, 45 RBIs, 9 home runs, OPS plus of 100. So just everything changed. Yeah, these are uh, blowing me away looking at his page and listening to you speak uh, way better than I thought, even though I knew yep. he was good at one point, like way better. And uh, one thing, geez, batting average 372 in 2000. Yep, we'll get there. Yep. Um, 140 games. But uh, so yeah, what you mentioned... He didn't like nearly fall off statistically as much as I thought. Um, like his stats still hold up, but uh, he didn't play a lot of games, so I guess he got injured a lot. That's really suffered from injuries. But in his years after Boston, he only had one year with a WAR above two. In his years in Boston, only one full season with a WAR below six, and that's when he was hurt and only played twenty one games. When he played, he was going to be an MVP candidate. Oh my god, that's was way better than so, I thought. I know, that's what I was saying. So good. So just going through a little bit, 97, I went through it. That was his rookie year where he was rookie of the year, all-star, eighth MVP, silver slugger, 6.6 .6 war. Uh, what was interesting is after that year, the Red Sox signed him to a long-term contract, which is highly unusual for someone after a one-year contract. Um, and 98, finished second in MVP voting, 195 hits, 122 RBIs, 323 batting average, 946 OPS, 140 OPS plus, 7.1 war. So again, a great year. Interesting, he didn't make the All-Star game. But yeah. I was looking into that. So it's the people ahead of him, A-Rod, Derek Jeter, Omar Vizquel. I was like, all right. That's, I forgot like how loaded young shortstop was at that point. I know Vizquel wasn't young, but well, that was such a golden era. That reminds me kind of of now. I feel like there's a lot of really good shortstops. And yeah. uh, it's kind of scary. It makes you think, like, who's going to actually kind of fall off? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 99. Won the batting title with 357 batting average, OPS of 1.022, an OPS plus of 153, 6.6 .6 war. And then 2000, the batting title, 
1.372 batting average, OPS plus of 1.033, OPS plus of 156, 96 RBIs, 21 home runs, 7.4 war. Unbelievable numbers. How was he ninth in MVP voting that year? He was unbelievable. And so there's a, I mean, I'll, I'll go into more of it later, but those are just like the basic stats. Like, I, I think we're on the same page when Nomar was like, yeah, he was a good player, then injured, and then he kind of fell off. Like, no, he was a phenomenal player who injuries just sapped him. It was originally, he uh, was hit by pitch on his wrist. And I guess basically in like 99, it didn't let it fully heal. And so he was fine for the next couple of years. But I think it was, it was kind of hard to tell. But either he got hit in that same spot or something, but in 01, and that like sapped him of his basically bat speed. And so that helped hurt the hitting. And then just it was different things with the legs that affected his def- defense. So he moved from mm-hmm. shortstop to first base. And he just couldn't move as much. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll keep it there for the, the basic stuff. But I'm telling you, Nomar was... A phenomenal player yeah and uh yeah wrist injury they always say like that's one of the harder ones to come back from like the yeah. smaller the bones almost it seems like yeah. the harder it is to fully recover them um i'm not a doctor i just made that up but <laughs> <laughs> hey man that sounded good to me yeah but um wow that was really cool i cannot believe how good he was and uh just the fact that that time you could bat 372 1.033 OPS and come in ninth in MVP is hilarious. Like, that is insane. Doesn't make sense to me. It's also just quickly that season where he hit 372, highest single season batting average by a right handed uh, batter in the post war era. First right handed batter to win the AL batting title in consecutive seasons since Joe DiMaggio. Like, there's a lot of other things, but the dude could just hit. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I'm, I'm really liking learning more about Nomar and uh, I'm interested to hear some stories about him too because I feel like he's a guy that could have some fun stuff. Yeah, he's he's cool. There's there's some interesting stuff about him. Um, yeah, so but I'll, I'll throw it back to you for some stories. Yeah, so we'll start out with Moises Alou's baseball family and get that out of the way. Some people might know it. I didn't know it until recently. Like I knew there were some other Alou's, but it's pretty remarkable. Um, I would argue they are actually the most relevant baseball family of all time. Um, Moises's father, Felipe, played MLB baseball, and so did Moises's uncles, Maddie and Jesus. They were all outfielders. They were the first set of three siblings to play together in the same outfield and all bat in the same inning, uh, accomplishing this with the Giants in 1963. They were all one outfield? They all played together with the Giants in the outfield, and they all batted in the same half inning a couple times. Now, they weren't all regular starters. Felipe was 28. He was a regular player for the Giants. Again, that's Moises' dad. Um, middle child Maddie was 24, and he was a defensive replacement and pitch hitter who only started six games for the Giants that year. And then Jesus was 21, and he was a September call-up. So... Uh, it took a lot to make it happen, but it still happened, and it's remarkable. That's so cool. That's so cool. Did they say whether it was, like, a purposeful thing to get them all out in the outfield? I guess you said it happened multiple times, so it had to just be, like, that's what the manager thought was a good idea. It wasn't a promotional thing. Yeah, exactly, because uh, they actually all never started a game in the same outfield, um, but it just kind of happened again, just... Um, from the fact that Felipe was a regular player and the other brothers were just kind of getting some time in here and there. 
Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. And it, it gets crazier because, uh, uh, again, Moises's uh, half-brother, Luis Rojas, is the current manager of the Mets. Uh, they share the same father, Felipe. Um, now, you may wonder why Moises goes by Alou, Moises Alou, and Luis Rojas goes by Luis Rojas if they have the same father. Um, well, the family name in the Dominican Republic is, in fact, Rojas, but Felipe Alou and his two brothers became known by the name Alou when a giant scout who signed Felipe mistakenly thought his maternal name was his father's name. So while Alou is a family name on the mother's side, they only went by that in the major leagues because the scout fucked up and thought that was their official last name. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. Uh, now That's back to <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. So back to Moises then. Um, Moises Alou was coached by his father, Felipe, from 92 to 96 with the Expos, 2005 to 2006 with the Giants. Again, that is just wild. I looked up, like, trying to find some stories, and I really couldn't find much. It was mostly just on, like, Felipe Alou's managing career, all I could read, and he talked about managing Barry Bonds, and he was actually a really interesting manager. He had some good years with the Expos that were cut, one was cut short by the strike, strike. and the Expos yeah. were projected to win that year. Um, so, just fascinating. I mean, that is wild, how relevant they are in baseball. So much history happens with them around it. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, so that's why, like, um, you might not think of them when you first think of baseball families, but once you know that information, you can't not think of them. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. Now, what you're saying, he would urinate on his hands because he didn't use batting gloves. Uh, he'd urinate on his hands to toughen them up and heal calluses. And it's a more common thing than you'd think. Uh, Nick Swisher said that Jorge Posada did this, and Rich Hill, the pitcher for the Dodgers, also confessed to doing this. And I think he just wanted to pee on his hands because he was a pitcher. I mean... <laughs> What did he need to do it for? He did not know it was baseball related. He was like, oh, okay, we, cool. I'd be on my hands too, guys. I'd also do that. They're like, well, how does that help you pitch? What do you mean? I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, the actual evidence of if this helps is unproven. But uh, urea. I would say that. Yeah, but urea, a major component of urine, can be found in some commercial skin moisturizers. So, Eesh. yeah, so it, uh, it might be a thing, but... Uh, also, just a reminder of how little I know about what I'm putting, like, in my body. Like, that is wild. I do not like that. Yeah. Do you use a lot of skin moisturizer? <laughs> hey, man, don't ask questions. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I just never knew that. Um, so, yeah. Um, pretty wild fact here. Moises did not play organized baseball until he attended um, Canada College. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, in Redwood City, California at the age of 18. Wow. So it was there when scouts noticed his raw bat speed and speed on the base pass. Now you have to admit, you have to uh, think that he obviously was very familiar with baseball. Yeah. But the fact that he didn't play organized baseball until eighteen and still made. So it, we think that that's just like a lot of games in the neighborhood and stuff, probably right. Yeah, that would be my guess. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I also feel like if you're the scout, it's like whoa. Who's that kid? Like, oh, do you mean the son of the Major League Baseball player? Like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's yeah, not the, nearly as good of a scouting. It's just like, this kid's never played before. It's like, okay, yeah, no, he's, he's been around baseball. Yeah, I mean, easy job for the scout. Like, his uncle's plays, dad plays. So you know yeah. he can, but uh, 
still pretty neat um, yeah. for, for Moises. Uh, I, okay, so yeah, Chicago fans can stop listening because we're going to talk about the Steve Bartman incident um, in, game, in game six of the 2003 NLCS against the Marlins. Uh, Cubs fan Steve Bartman deflected a foul ball landing one row into the stands, preventing Moises Alou, who was reaching over the, uh, over the wall into the stands from catching the ball. That could have been the second out of the eighth inning. Uh, of course, Bartman deflected it. They didn't call interference. The Marlins went on to score eight runs in that inning. So eight? The Cubs, yes. Uh, so the Cubs lost that game. And uh, they, if Alou caught that, they would have been four outs away from going to the World Series. Instead, they lost that game and they lost the rest of the series. Steve Bartman had death threats. You know, terrible, terrible time for him. It's wild that... Is that like the first incident of someone being doxxed, basically? Like, his whole his whole information, everything was out there because he interfered. Like, that was such a wild, wild time. I remember they had him on SportsCenter. He, like, called in so they could talk about it, and he gave a little interview. And at the end, they said, this was not Steve Barton. Steve Barton, don't talk to us again, and hung up. And it was, like, the wildest thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't think you can understate how insane this was like someone who might not have lived through it and i didn't really live through it i mean yeah. I, we were so young and i did not follow the cubs but um you might think like oh just fan interference people were mad like no he was like you said just like totally um just oh terrible um totally harassed and everything and delu freaked out in the game when it happened which i can understand it's kind of the heat of the moment um and uh but he later admitted in interviews uh, that he could not have made the catch anyway, which was really strange. And so people asked him about that afterwards, and Delu denied making that statement and said if he had, it was only to make Bartman feel better. So he actually went back on. <laughs> cool, man. Really cool. Um, yeah, he said that uh, in the 2011 Catching Hell doc on Steve Bartman that he 1,000%, yeah, 1,000% had the ball in his glove. But he has said since multiple times, it's time to forgive the guy and move on. Um, but a lot of drama there. That's really big of you, Moises Alou. You you ruined his life. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess he he finally understood how much shit this guy was getting and was like, okay. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, again, that that would have sent the Cubs maybe to the World Series just because none of what happened afterwards probably would have happened in the same way. Um, so I mean, it is though they they needed just five outs still and they gave up eight runs just four outs yeah it is it is well i'm saying like, uh, if they didn't make like because of the make like still it's it's not i mean it's i understand it is a big difference but it's like do your job guys don't give up eight runs and then they still had game seven yeah um i think they still had um uh yeah i guess that was yeah that was game six so yeah they still had game seven so yeah i mean you it's not Steve Bartman's fault. Like the Cubs yeah. should have still won those games. Um, it's like a guy who makes an error and then the pitcher gives up like multiple runs. It's like, okay, I understand that's frustrating, but you have to bounce back from that. And and I I want to walk the, the fine line here. I understand the Cubs fans' frustration because you are so close. And it's like, oh my gosh, that did it. But also, oh my God, that's so terrible. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, so Steve Bartman actually received a 2016 World Series ring from the Cubs, which was nice. That's of really cool. 
Yeah, nice of their organization. But his quote is so sad because you can tell he's just a broken man from this. He said, I'm deeply moved and sincerely grateful to receive an official Chicago Cubs uh, 2016 World Series ring. I'm fully aware of the historical significance and appreciate the symbolism the ring represents. My family and I will cherish it for generations. Um, where is it? Um, in, oh, so I've missed it. Okay, sorry. At the beginning of the quote, he says, although I do not consider myself worthy of such an honor. And then he says all that stuff. Oh. So it's just like, he's just broken inside. Like, no, I'm not. Please just forget me. Oh, I just want to give him a hug. Yeah, it's sad. But um, I think by now, everyone's come to terms with it. I hope. If there's still Cubs fans. The fact that the Cubs got a World Series, I feel like everyone's forgiven and forgotten. Yeah, that, that may have been the best thing to happen is the Cubs finally just winning, get it over with. Yeah. So, a uh, big part of the Moises Alou story. I know it's yeah, a little Yeah, for tangent. sure. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I got for Moises an anecdotes. Um, but let me hear about Nomar. Yeah, um, okay. So, for Nomar, his, I would say the, the big thing, um, so his two batting titles, what really helped him was he cut down the strikeouts, and for the first two times in his career, he walked more than he struck out. That really helped him. Um, Ted Williams once said that when he saw Nomar hit, he was reminded of Joe DiMaggio. It's like, that's wild. That is such a crazy compliment. That's he batted awesome. 321 in 32 postseason games, like 127 or something plate appearances. Like, very, I mean, you know, the more plate appearances, typically the more it's like you're, you're, you're normal and you're average. Um, so his first name is not Nomar. His first name is Anthony. His middle name is Nomar. But his middle name comes from his father, Ramon, because Nomar is Ramon spelled backwards. And I just love that. I just love that. <laughs> what? So that's like me naming my son uh, Anthony Cirque Barranco, and he goes by <laughs> Cirque. <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't hate it, Chris. I don't hate it. Um, when he was, when Nomar was a young boy, his father stressed the importance of not striking out, offering him 25 cents for each hit and this okay so I, I have some questions it says offering him 25 cents for each hit and t-ball and finding him 50 cents for each strikeout how do you strike out in t-ball i don't know but i'm gonna say it's just if we just change that to youth sports that's wild that's so funny that he got paid for each hit and fined for each strikeout oh i love that <laughs> that's so good um when he was 13 his dad put him in a batting cage against a college pitcher who was throwing 90 miles per hour and nomar got uh, hit line drives on two of the first three pitches. That's such a dad story. Yeah, exactly. He, he hit some line drives. <laughs> um, as a boy, he was nicknamed No Nonsense Nomar for his methodical and tireless preparation. <laughs> Wait, That's for just his, alliteration. For his what? For his methodical and tireless preparation. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, let's see. His uh, 98 runs set MLB record for RBIs by a leadoff hitter. Um, and he had the most home runs by rookie shortstop. His 30-game hitting streak set an AL rookie record. So again, he just came onto the scene on fire. One of 13 players in Major League history and hit two grand slams during a single game. So not quite Fernando Tatis, but still very cool. Um, and then the the it's it's not funny, but it kind of, it's just sad. So before the 2001 season, Scott Boris ran a statistical study of Garcia Parra. For his own client, A-Rod, just trying like, all right, here's where they're going to be, predicted that by the age of 40, Nomar 
would hit 513 home runs, have 3,581 hits, and have a career 336 batting average. Which, like, obviously, he's your age, like, he's just trying to boost the numbers, but they're actually not, like, that crazy to think about because of how good he was at a young age. Definitely. And that's, that's like, the, such a sad thing about Nomar, is that he was unbelievable when he was healthy. And, yeah, it's wild. Again, I don't think he does that just because those numbers are crazy, but 3,000 hits seemed like that would happen. He was getting, he was averaging 190 for his first five years. Yeah, like when you look at the other guys around him, like Jeter got over 3,000 hits, A-Rod got nearly 700 home runs. Like, you know, like it's not that crazy to think that Nomar would have been right there yeah. too. Yeah, no, it's, and that is the thing. Like who was the best young shortstop at that time? Like that was a big, a big argument. And looking at it now, and we'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later, Nomar has an, a good argument. His thing is just not longevity. But if you want to take those peak years, I'll probably still take A-Rod because A-Rod was just unbelievable. Yeah. But um, Nomar has, he's got a good argument. So uh, yeah, some I could other... See, sorry, I was just going to say, I could see taking Nomar's peak years over like Jeter's peak years because I did not realize how good Nomar was. Yep, yep. And I'll, I'll get to that. Um, so he was traded away in 2003. There was basically a contract dispute coming up where he wanted to get a bigger contract and Theo Epstein thought that the injuries were going to affect him more and they did. Um, so he was traded away for defensive help. I think it was Orlando, uh, Orlando Cabrera and uh, yeah. Doug Minkovitz, I believe. You finally um, got your Orlando Cabrera discussion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Had to get him. <laughs> um, and so he went from being, I couldn't tell if he was the captain or not, but like the star, the face of that Boston team, to that he's traded away. And they win, they win a World Series without him. And just so brutal. But... To show how much he's just like beloved, and after the 04 World Series, all of his teammates voted to give him a World Series ring and a three fourths playoff share. I don't like that. Wait, when was he traded away? Was he? Oh three, I think. So I think it was oh. the next year, or he was it oh four? Play... Okay, so he was traded okay. halfway through the season. He was traded halfway. That's through the season. fair. Then I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that's like. Uh, I think it was. Kurt Schilling, who I don't love to quote, but there was a quote basically like, you know, we are nothing. Like, we would not have done this without him. He helped set the tone. Um, so was really, really well liked. As I said, his batting glove adjustment became very, like, iconic. He was just very, did a lot at the plate. Um, in 2005, he saved two women who fell into the Boston Harbor and saved their life. So that was a whole thing. Whoa. Yeah, kind of crazy. Um, yeah, so those are my main ones. Obviously, Married to Mia Hamm, one of the greatest female athletes of all time. So, do you want to do... I'll let you do your similarity scores first, if you want. Sure, sounds good. So, uh, uh, Moises Alou is compared to a lot of players that we've talked about. Matt Holliday, Maglio Ordonez, uh, Ellis Burke, Sean Green, who keeps popping up in every, like, similarity score we've done. It's like Sean Green. Sean Green, I can't wait to... I, I almost feel like I can't do a Sean Green deep dive because it's just right now the myth and the allure of Sean Green is too great. That's so true. And then uh, Ryan Braun, um, Moises was 46th in Jaws left field uh, rankings. Uh, so compared to the average Hall of Famer uh, for left field, I guess, or for the outfield, he was 39.6 career war compared to 65.6 Hall of Fame. 
27.77 year war compared to 41.7 Hall of Fame, 33.8 Jaws rating compared to 53.6 Jaws rating. So really no Hall of Fame case, a little bit of a letdown. I thought maybe, like you said, he would have a stronger case and he got 1.1% of the votes in 2014 and that was it. So no Hall of Fame case for Moises, but a Hall of Pretty Good, not even Hall of Very Good, Hall of Pretty Good. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so for no more, all first say similarity scores and all of them I agree with. Like David Wright, a great player who had injuries. Uh, Dustin Pedroia, Troy Tulowitzki, uh, Hanley mm-hmm. Ramirez is another. Tulo like, is a great. T- exactly. Oh. Now, here is where I make kind of the case for no more. So his career war is not there. So forty four point three average Hall of Fame shortstop, sixty seven point five. That's not close. And then I'll go to Jaws. His is forty three point seven. Average Hall of Fame shortstop, 55.3. Not that close. Now, where I make the argument is his seven-year peak war was 43.1. Average Hall of Fame shortstop, 43.1. He is the average seven-year peak. And that's that's what it is for shortstops. He's 23rd all-time in war. There's 23 Hall of Fame shortstops. Like, he could be in. I understand why he's not. But his peak was as good as any Hall of Famers. He put up Hall of Fame numbers during his peak, and it sucks that injuries robbed him of it. 100%. Um, so tell me, did he? when did he receive votes and like how many? So in 2015, 2016, so he spent two years on the ballot. He went from 5.5% to 1.8%. Mm. So I, I get it. I very much do. Um, but I really think that this is one where it's like peak, peak matters. And his peak was as good as a Hall of Famer's. Yes, um, I completely agree. I think my final verdict would be just not enough longevity as much as yeah. that sucks. But like you said, like uh, that peak, I don't think anyone really recognizes that. Well, of course, baseball writers probably do. But like the general fan, like me before this episode, I didn't, I didn't recognize that. And like you said, that matters and it shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, I very much focused on his years in Boston because that's the years that matter. Like I could focus on his... Cubs years and his Dodgers years, and a couple good years here and there, like, not take away from him, but it's the Boston years that would obviously be the ones that get him in. Mm. Um, Like, his final year in Oakland, he was hurt. There's just, it's not fun to focus on non-Boston no more, because those are all the what-if years. The years in Boston are the, here's what he could do, here's what he was doing, and I understand why Scott Boris projected those crazy numbers. So, yeah, I'm with you. He doesn't get in based on that, but dear God, he should have more respect. Yes, and one last thing I want to say too, just to clarify, like he's not. It's not even like when he left Boston, he was bad. He just didn't play yeah. as much. Like 100%. his stats are still pretty, pretty decent. Not what they were in Boston, but he would have been a good player still. Like, yeah, I mean, in those non-Boston years, he's still hitting 283, 303, 283, yeah. 264 is not as good. 281. Like, he's still a good hitter. It's just he's not playing as much. And so, obvious, and which, yeah, just makes it harder. And his defense wasn't as good. But if he, and obviously that's what makes Hall of Fame the Hall of Fame, is who can keep doing it for their entire career. I 100% get that. But if he continues doing what he did in Boston, which isn't like, oh, he, between the ages of 27 and 31, where there's maybe steroid allegations or anything, it's like, no. From 23 to 29, he was a superstar. You would think he gets three more years of peak, and then he just slowly declines. 
Mm-hmm. And that just didn't happen. So Nomar, I have so much more respect for him. And I told you beforehand, like I was very excited about my card. I picked this out, I think last week when I saw him in my collection. I was like, oh God, like I want to learn more about him. Because I remember like, oh yeah, Nomar, Boston. And I'm so glad I did because he, I mean, genuinely, just like such, such a good player. Yeah, cool. So let's compare uh, Moises and Nomar. So I have a 2002 Cubs. So that year, uh, Moises Alou uh, batted 15 homers, 61 RBIs, 275, 757 OPS. And his war was in 2002, uh, 0.3. So uh, not looking good for Moises. Yeah, okay. So I have 2001 Nomar. So this was after his best year. Oh, actually, we might be going with you because this is Nomar only played 21 games. This wow. is the first year he was hurt. So if any year around this, four out of five years, he's a whole, an all-star. This is the one year that we take. You know what? Moises, good for you, man. Good for you. Wow. Clutch victory for Moises. And then uh, card, I think I'm going to want your Nomar card. But uh, it's kind of a cool Moises Alou card. And it's awesome to think of, you know, his history and baseball family. So I like this card a lot. But, uh, man, Nomar Boston card is pretty damn cool. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this one, it's, I mean, it's an action shot of him thrown to first. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, now that I, like, know more how good he is, for sure. For sure, I want the Nomar card. Yeah, same. Um, okay, so Moises Alou, I think, actually, in my mind, oh, God, it's tough. I think he was a little overrated, even though I didn't think much of him. Um, I just think I thought he he was a good hitter. So it's not like he was bad, but... I don't know. I just something about him was a little underwhelming. I hate saying that. I agree. I mean, I said beforehand, I thought that he was going to have a Hall of Fame case. He, he doesn't. So yeah. in my mind, I overrated him. Um, he's still such a cool part of baseball history just for his family, potentially creating the fist bump or popularizing it. Like, yeah. I would, he, he would be someone I would love to like get a lunch or dinner with and just hear baseball stories. He has to have more baseball stories than almost any single person. Yeah, I almost like, it's weird, because I, I think maybe his stats were a little overrated in my head going into this episode, but uh, <laughs> I think he was underrated in terms of just like the, the lore surrounding him. Um, so so for that reason, I am more into Moises Alou now than I was beforehand, but I just think his stats were a little overrated. Um, for Nomar personally, I think uh, definitely underrated. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I also wonder if part of the reason that you don't dislike him is he was never on a winning Red Sox team. He was on teams that the Yankees always beat. So, yeah. I, I mean, I wonder how much that has to do with it. But also, like, he was just a fun, good player. And yeah, just incredibly underrated. I'm a big Nomar fan now. Yeah, I think I think you touch on a good point. That's why I didn't... He wasn't on like the World Series winning team, even though he was there that season. And like that was when I started really paying attention and also really hating the Red Sox. So yeah, yeah, he was never part of that. I, was, I think he was like friends with uh, Jeter too, from what I remember. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe they were rivals. But what I mean, I think they wrote in each other's books and stuff. Like I wouldn't surprise me. They're good young, like shortstops, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Nomar, like he. Manny Machado, basically. Like, different skill set and things, but just that type of, like, burst on the scene, star right away. And it it would suck if Manny's career was basically, like, if his best days were behind him. 
Well, that's what I was thinking that with like Tatis, like again, just these young yeah. shortstops and Manny. But um, by now, I feel like Manny is. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I don't think of him as in terms of a shortstop, but because he's played third for so long. Same, same thing though. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it makes you think of who nowadays could we look back on and be like, wow, they were so good. Like, yeah, yeah, it really. It's like a cautionary tale, but not because Nomar did anything wrong. It's just like, to me, it's a, I mean, it might be cheesy, but like, enjoy these players because yes. it's not a guarantee that their careers go as you plan. Like, it, it could be four or five great years, and that's all you get. Like, that's wild. That sucks to think. But, I mean, Nomar's years were as good as we've seen, and then it yes. just, injuries took it from him. Yeah, it's a cautionary tale of a, of a fan appreciating what you have in that things don't last forever because it's just baseball. It's just natural. Yeah. Like it's not like he, it's not like he got busted for anything. It's not like he yeah. uh, just started sucking. It's just natural, like a natural wild. Um, yeah. Well, I think so connections. I don't think they ever played on the same team, right? Maybe the Cubs. Oh, four on the Cubs for Moises. Was Nomar there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they overlapped for a year. Oh, wait, when did they, um, I'm looking at Moises, I accidentally clicked out of, sorry, I'm looking at Nomar, I accidentally clicked out of Moises's, um, they also both played on the Dodgers and Oakland, I think, maybe Moises didn't play for Oakland. No, Moises, okay, not for Moises. Moises, okay, so just the Cubs, they overlapped. Yeah, 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 just the Cubs, um, so that's cool. Teammates again, nice. Teammates again, yeah. So, um, interesting to me that uh, Moises, more, obviously more baseball history, but Nomar, to me, is like one of the great what-ifs in baseball. Yeah, that's very fair. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. Because it would be interesting if he doesn't get hurt, if he stays healthy. Like, imagine having a d- direct comparison in Jeter in New York. We would have Nomar in Boston at short, Jeter like, at short in New York, and then those back and forth would be so much more fun. I mean, they were already so fun, but, like, just to have that extra storyline. Well, no wonder, like, that. the rivalry was huge then, and, uh, yeah, that's just so cool. That must have been so cool to watch, and uh, just all those young shortstops at that time. I mean, I can only think of A-Rod, but I'm sure there were some others, too. Um, so that must have just been a really exciting time, yeah. Yeah, super cool. Um, all right, well, thank you guys so much for listening. Chris, do you have anything else? Yeah, actually, um, we do have an email address, as we mentioned last That's pod. Right. Uh, the Mint Condition Podcast at gmail.com. The Mint Condition Podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send us uh, feedback or recommendations for players or topics, questions, really anything you want. Uh, just send it to us. We do have one email, actually, that I want to read. Um, Please so do. This email uh, says, to whom this may concern. As an avid podcast listener and baseball fanatic, I can confidently say your podcast is in my top five of my favorite baseball card podcasts that I listen to. Uh, That being said, I don't want this information to get to your heads. The reason I have rated your podcast so highly and I've referred it to my family, friends, and students, I'm assuming this is a teacher, um, is because of the infamous Jack McWilliams that appeared in one of the episodes. Where did he go? Did something happen to him? Why isn't he a reoccurring guest? The characters of Chris Barranco and Robbie Greenspan are all right. But the real star is Jack, and I demand, all caps, that he returns in your next episode. If you fail to meet my demands, I may have to unsubscribe. 
you have been kindly warned. Best, your number one fan. We're being trolled. Or someone loves us. I don't know which one it is, but I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Yeah, this is definitely from one of our friends. But uh, we appreciate uh, her email nonetheless. Uh, even though it is threatening, we'd prefer to get <laughs> uh, non-threatening It's more threatening emails. than I anticipated. But yeah, please please send us any emails. They're very fun to read. We've got a couple others that we've enjoyed. So um, thank you guys so much. And uh, we will see you next week. Yep. Thanks. See ya. Baseball Card Podcast is independently produced and recorded by Robbie Greenspan and Chris Branca. Special thanks to baseball historian and consultant Jack Williams.